0: Hello and welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Alex von a historian and screenwriter,
1: and I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and a consultant to film and television.
0: And Hannah, we have a very exciting guest this week. We have Luke Pepper, who is a historian, writer, and author of the forthcoming book Motherland: Five Hundred Thousand Years of African History, Cultures, and Identity. Welcome, Luke.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Hi, Luke. Thanks so much for joining us. Alex and I really wanted to invite you to History Film Club because we were interested in this recent Netflix docudrama series called African Queens, in which you feature as a talking head and it's executive produced by celebrity Jada Pinkett Smith. Can you tell us a bit more about this docudrama and your involvement in it?
3: Yeah, of course. So the docudrama tells the story of a 17th century queen of the Kingdom of Ndongo, which was in modern day Angola. Her name is Injinga, Njinga Mbande. And she has the most extraordinary life. When she's a child, that's when the Portuguese are first sort of starting to make inroads into Ndongo specifically. They've already had a relationship with the nearby Kingdom of Congo and they have a base in Luanda, which is Angola's capital. But, you know, her grandfather is fighting against them. Her father's fighting against them. Her brother's fighting against them. So she really grows up in this quite turbulent era of fighting against the Portuguese and resisting Portuguese colonization because they're trying to turn... Dongo into the colony of Angola or the Kingdom of Angola um, to make it their colony and, you know, have extensive interests in the Americas and, you know, the slave trade or the the West African trade and enslaved Africans is an important part of that. So she grows up in this really turbulent international time and it basically just follows her life and her resistance against the Portuguese who tried to colonize Ndongo. I became involved because obviously I've been writing about African history. That's my expertise. You know, I've been interested in that since I was about 16 and I went to Ghana's National Museum. And I saw that they mainly had artifacts from sort of last 500 years from the trade in you know, enslaved Africans and from colonialism, because Ghana and the Ashanti specifically, one of the main ethnic groups in Ghana, were involved in those two aspects quite extensively and had relationships with European powers. But, you know, I was quite curious about the depth of our history because I did sense that it was there. You know, I saw the masks, I heard the songs and stories. It was definitely something a lot deeper. I wanted to scratch under the surface a tiny bit. So that's when I went on to study our college anthropology, being inspired by that. And there, I did a course on the formation of sub-Saharan African states. And I learned about all these great sort of ancient and medieval empires of Africa, all over Africa, from the civilization of Ife in West Africa and the Nok in modern-day Nigeria to the Swahili to Great Zimbabwe. And that's where it really began. So when they were looking for people to speak about African history, in particular, the deeper African history, you know, as far back as we can go, I was one of the people that they got in contact with. And for my book, like you mentioned earlier, you know, Motherland, I'm actually looking at Njinga, you know, I'm looking at her story as part of a broader chapter on matriarchy and African queens. So I felt that, you know, sort of a a coming together of all these interesting elements. And uh, yeah, it was very much a pleasure to be involved.
0: So Njinga is 17th century, I think. Yeah. My deep African history is not amazing. I'm really looking forward to your book. So I learned much more. But uh, I mean, you know, what sort of sources as you say? Like, I mean, because of the period of colonialism and so forth, obviously, that often goes along with some plunder, with some destruction of sources and so on. So what kind of sources are you using to reconstruct Nzinga's life and experiences?
3: That's a great question, actually, I think, because that one's particularly interesting because it's mainly written sources, actually, by Portuguese Catholic missionaries, especially the Capuchins. So it's their written records. But basically later on in her life, when Nzinga opened up her kingdom, you know, or one of the conditions on which she uh, made peace with the Portuguese is that she would adopt Catholicism in the kingdom. She'd actually been baptised quite a long time before, about 40 years beforehand. Um, she'd had this long-going relationship with Christianity in Portugal, and it was also important to her as a diplomatic tool. But later on in her life, she invites these monks and these missionaries, etc., to come to the kingdom and to help institute Catholicism there. And one was called a Kavatsi. And they've listened to her tell a story and they basically write it down so a lot of it is coming from her and her advisors own lips um, it's actually them telling their own story but they are telling it to these very religiously strict europeans who obviously would edit certain things and increase the importance of certain aspects or subjects and you know decrease the importance of others depending on their own bias so you have this interesting mix of quite sort of reliable sources because of the provenance but also, you know, have to be taken with a pinch of salt because of the people who recorded them. But you'd have no idea what they left out, what they've added in order to temper the story they've been told. But those are the main ones. And obviously, for Africa generally, you know, and with Nijinga's story, archaeology is really important, you know, looking at artifacts, buildings, etc. More so to get an idea of what her early life was like and the life of her ancestors as well. So those are the two big ones.
1: I was interested with the Netflix series that it did seem as though there was a real intent to try and communicate some of the complexities of that backstory and the ways in which different sorts of sources might lead you in particular directions around the histories. And as a very introductory guide to how we might navigate some of that. And Included in that, actually, I don't know if you're aware, but Netflix, or someone has produced alongside it, a kind of educational book, a very short guide to the history with also kind of points of discussion, presumably as a teaching aid in the classroom. So there's hooks into little links to the series, and there's contextual information there, and then very leading questions about how Njinga engaged with Catholicism, why that might be the case, what the complex histories of religion might be involved at play. And and I was interested that there was effort to do that. I mean, did you have a sense of that when the docuseries was in development, that they were going to try and block it with this other kind of education material alongside? Or did that just appear from somewhere else?
3: <laughs> that definitely appeared later. I mean obviously I'm sure, you know, you guys being we all being fans of especially historical like scripted TV and drum, you know, dramatic stuff is that You know, when you're trying to excite people, a lot of stuff sort of gets watered down. And then on the other side, you have, you know, the great work that academics do when they really bring in the nuance and you're always trying to balance the two things. I mean, I know definitely the docu-series was meant to inform people about African history. It wasn't meant to, you know, excite, you know, that came, you know, secondary. And the reason I can say that with confidence is that the main source of material for the documentary was a biography written by an esteemed American academic, Linda Hayward. And that was like the main material used. So it was always about informing. And then the drama was about excitement, but then the study guard was proved afterwards, because I think that was the main point. I shared a Twitter in case any teachers or academics were interested in using it as material just to teach a bit about this aspect of history. But, you know, it didn't know whilst filming that that was going to be the case, but I think it's important. I think on both sides, i.e. from the European perspective and also from the African perspective, the history of that contact is very simplified. When people talk about, for example, the enslavement of African peoples and, and the African role in it. There are different layers to that. There were some people who were acting straight as traders. there were some kings who were very against it. There were some who were interested in selling captives of other kingdoms, but for example, were very against their own people being taken and raids by Europeans. So there, there's a lot of nuance and complexity even in just that. Even the trade relationship, that goes back several hundred years. Again, when we talk about European content with Africa, we tend to focus on the subjugators and the oppressed when actually for centuries, perhaps even millennia, there was equal trade relationships between African and European powers. And, you know, what happens later is basically just uh, it's a little blip and it's certain people on both the African and European side taking advantage of certain circumstances and, you know, having certain ambitions, which leads to a kind of period. Because, you know, a lot of the colonization of parts of Africa happened with the help of other African peoples. So there's a lot of the nuance and the complexity there. And I think, you know, the study guide coming afterwards, and I think this is really important for the way in which now we're... um, Talking about African history, I think will be important to talk about African history forward is to try and introduce some of that nuance back into the debate and not simplify it so much. So it acts as a good addendum to the docu-series. But yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that was covered in the study guide is a bit harder to see when obviously you have all the drama, etc., in the docu-series and the talking heads, or the academic portion forms just a small part of it.
0: Well, certainly we at History Film Club love the fact that I do think quite often historical drama, historical fiction really hooks people into history. You know, it gives them a kind of motive and an incentive to go and find out the real story. We all know that it's quite heavily fictionalised on screen a lot of the time, but if it motivates people to go and look for the original story, then of course that can be very, very productive from a historian's point of view. And I mean, we have definitely seen now like a few from should we say years and years of seeing our screens certainly in the west pretty much dominated by very white centric very hollywood very british views of africa that's clearly changing a bit and i mean obviously films like we must mention the woman king recently which is such a fascinating take but also kind of fictionalizations black panther is unavoidable so are we seeing a kind of exciting new period where actually there are different ways of telling african stories on screen perhaps told, of course, by Black voices in the West, but also potentially by Africans.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think people are realising that there's so much material there to talk about. And, you know, material that hasn't seen the light of day, because as much as even as at school, actually, I loved some of the stuff that we did with regards to English history. And, you know, I think even the same thing applies to something like English history. You know, I enjoyed the Tudor period, but I mean, you can only have so many Anne Boleyn dramas on television. But it's even like the Civil War, you know, the rest of William of Orange, there are actually a lot of aspects that people didn't really pay attention to. And I think Africa is an extreme example of that because there is just so much there. I mean, modern humans emerged in Africa. So you have 140,000 to 200,000 years of stuff you can look at and it's just not seen the light of day. I think one thing that might also be potentially interesting, I mean, I'm very interested in the medieval era because I'm interested in the relationships between different states and the traveling and the trade, etc. And, you know, that world and even the ancient world being very globalist and very like multicultural. So you could do, even if, for example, if you did a show or drama about ancient Egypt, you could have like, people from a range of places, Greece, Sudan, Arabia, because that was what it was. You know, you're not whitewashing or blackwashing or doing anything if you just, for example, tell a story about a range of different peoples in a particular historical period. I mean, you know, even from Mali, medieval Mali, 14th century Mali, to early modern Europe, to ancient India. I mean, there are people from a whole range of places. So the What we do have, I think, especially when it comes to drama, is an odd tendency to represent history as though a certain people who looked a certain way had always been living in a certain place since the beginning of time. And that's just not the way things happen. You know, people moved, people migrated, people mixed. I mean, even before Homo sapiens emerged as a species, you know, our ancient human ancestors were doing the same thing, mixing, migrating, moving, changing. And they weren't always occupying the same place for however long. But with regards to Africa, I think it is just that there is so much and we're beginning to see people take an interest in that and to feature Africans as the protagonists. I guess, you know, our focus is a lot on Hollywood is on the American model and American made shows and they're going to have a certain perspective about their history and about the things that are important to history, you know, being a relatively new country, those medieval exchanges. You know, the old world even meeting the new world, Europe, Africa and Asia, even meeting America has only happened 500 years ago, you know, say <laughs> so 200 years ago. So there's a whole kind of depth that hasn't been explored. But I think, you know, as we sort of move forward in time as people, you guys, you know, myself do great scholarship and are talking about these things. It's like, actually you know, there are different ways to represent this issue. We need to bring in more of this stuff because this reflects the reality and, you know, teaches us much better about ourselves than our old perspectives.
1: Well, it's perhaps telling that I'd seen that the you know, African Queen's Netflix series suggested that they're going to look at cleopatra as the second african queen of like season two and originally cleopatra had been listed as the lead queen and then this was moved around at some point so sure. presumably that cleopatra history is going to do some of that complex storytelling which Hopefully, you might be yeah. hoping for because you know perhaps it was not the first queen that we might have expected
3: sure to yeah be listed. and then also and i think part of the reason was because obviously everybody knows cleopatra nobody knows Nzinga. that's also yeah. one of the things i was saying if we start something, you know, can get people interested. Everybody knows Cleopatra, but I think it was interesting for them to try a different way to be like, actually, you know, if the story is good, then people are going to engage with it, no matter if they haven't heard of it yes. before.
1: And in kind of presenting the story of Njinga, Jada Pinkett-Smith has said in interviews that actually she wanted it to be as driven by the history as possible and have these academic voices involved precisely because a viewer can't go and find other information about it. So if you take a very well-known historical character and you're kind of creating fictional drama around them, then you can just find other information to correct that narrative. So if it's Anne Boleyn and you're doing something different with that story, there's a whole other set of stories of Anne Boleyn, yes. which you might then engage with and allow you to kind of pull yourself back to history or whatever. But with these African queens, actually, it's so difficult for people to access the other stories, the other kinds of histories that she wanted it to be as kind of straight down the line as possible, whilst also incorporating this kind of sense of it being dramatised, which is an interesting line to take and a kind of interesting conundrum, presumably for filmmakers, in terms of that balance between drama and fact.
3: Yeah, um, and I think, because obviously when you do a drama about, let's say, um, Anne Boleyn, you're fairly certain that people are going to know a bit of the real history. Yeah, And that was, again, one of the reasons of making the Nijing historical. For some people, you're teaching them the history about this person for the first time. You know, a lot of people haven't heard of her. So it's also trying to do those things kind of in tandem. If you do like the ambulance one, you know you can make it as exciting as they because people know that it is going to be that. This isn't the real story. Whereas a lot of people would see Ninjing and be like, actually how accurate is it? Because I've never heard of this. I have no frame of reference with which to match this. So yeah, no, that's a very good point.
0: And Luke, I know that you've written about, you know, you wrote a wonderful piece for the FT on yes. um, African queens and all of this. And you did have some ideas and I'd love you to expand on them because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, okay, 500,000 years of African history. Come on, what stories should we see on screen next? What would you love to see on screen?
2: Yeah, well, I should really be saying this to my agent, Alex. I mean, take my, my of this.
1: Well, without prejudice.
2: I'm joking, I'm legally, joking. Oh, I've from your so book, many. Luke. Yeah, no, that has right, to be but, yeah.
1: Luke's book. Yeah, there's <laughs> no, so many. So
3: um, to that. I mean, one of the stories that I absolutely love, so obviously I'm Ashanti and the founder of the Ashanti empire in the early 18th century was a king called Osetutu and he and his sort of confidant and priest Anoche helped found this kingdom and they defeated one of the big nations at the time that then controlled what's now Ghana at uh, the Denchira in the 8th century and you know there's the story about him founding the nation and about Anoche you know calling all the chiefs that he helped bring together in order to defeat this kingdom you know it brings them together and calls from the heavens this golden stool and because what I find really interesting about Africanish is that because it's oral our adherence to the facts in terms of, you know, strict dates, etc., isn't as much at all about the story and how it makes people feel and what it tells you about yourself as a people. So there are lots of very interesting, exciting mythological elements that would be perfect. And you could just tell them as they are written, as they're actually originally told, for example, in Ghana, and just put in these mythological elements to make it really exciting. So the corner of the golden stool. I mean, I'd love to see that one. There's also the founder of the Empire of Mali, obviously. The most famous Mali emperor is Mansa Musa because of his pilgrimage to Mecca and he spends so much gold that he crashes the Cairo economy twice and all this type of thing. But <laughs> I would love to do one on the founder of the empire from the Arctic, or love to see one rather, on the founder of the empire from the Arctic, because actually his story, so all across West African places like Senegal and Mali and Guinea, you have a cast of storytellers, the Griots, whose only job for centuries, close to a thousand years, has been to learn and pass down the stories of the great kings and queens of the nations of these areas or the former empires and kingdoms of these areas before them. And, you know, there are academics who've listened to these stories and recorded them. So for example, there is, you know, an epic of Sundiata. It's a bit like the Odyssey and tells his story. And that's something that has been untapped for sure. So that would be like specific people. And then I would love to also, lastly, I think I could go on forever, honestly, with this one. (laughs) But um I found the, uh, you know, one thing I write about is the world of the 14th, 15th century Swahili and actually the interactions like I was talking about earlier with peoples from different places from India to China to Yemen to Iran and how they were all coming with this winter wind from Eurasia to East Africa to places like Tanzania and Somalia and trading with the peoples there and there you could, you know, invent a character and you can use it to really explore the dynamics of that world and of the medieval world in general and trade between them and particularly the Eastern trade because we tend to focus a lot on Western trade, but actually the trade of the East was thousands of years a lot more important until the new world was brought into the mix by the sort of quite amazing European navigations um, in the 15th century. So something that explores that world and you could have people from different areas of society and from different classes and from different professions because there's a lot of flexibility there. And there are some, you know, real figures that you could tap into like Ibn Battuta, who's a great traveller of the 14th century, went to so many places, medieval, you know, an Amazigh traveller. And, you know, so yeah, those are just a few of the things I love to see.
0: Okay, well, I'm sure Luke's agent is available for anyone (laughs) listening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they would like to optionally these, I mean, amazing, amazing stories. I mean, it's unimaginably rich uh, yes. what we can dig into. It's just really exciting, I think, as a potential source of stories that have been so neglected for such a long time. It's just going to be wonderful to see some more on screen, I hope. But Luke, we also like to ask everyone who applies to the History Film Club to nominate one of their favourite film or TV historical productions to put in our club library. So um, I wonder what you'd like to add.
3: Yeah, I love your thoughts on this, actually, but I love A Knight's Tale.
1: Oh books? yeah! I, I love a night's tale. We have, have it? it in the library, but we can have oh, a is second it on the copy. Yeah, okay. it might. No, but we can have a second library. copy. It probably yeah. is because it's
3: so copy. good. It's so good. But um, yeah, actually, yeah. one thing that I'm interested in, I am interested in—I mean, it is a TV series because it has been animated, but it's adapted from a comic book and it's called a Rurouni Kenshin. So it tells the story of basically the era of Maiji in Japan. So I think it's like 18th century Japan when the samurai took over. So this was basically the fall of the Tokugawa Shogun at the samurai. And there was the emperor's forces or those who were loyal to the emperor rebelled and deposed the samurai and it was supposed to be like an era of peace. And it follows the story of a wandering swordsman who was initially a assassin for the revolutionary army, but he's disillusioned with the world that he thought he was helping to create because actually the Maiji era, even though it was supposed to be one of equality and peace, is still also quite corrupt. But he was a former assassin and his name is Himura Kenshin, but he's based on a real assassin. And a lot of the characters are based on real people during this period. So it's like an adventure romance, animated story. I was looking at it again recently and I thought it was really good. And it was really, you know, an era of history and a place that I'd never even thought about knew about or considered. And I found the even the richness of those different aspects very interesting. And, you know, also a story that resonated with, uh, with us to an extent because I felt like when these big changes happen, everybody thinks it's going to create something better and people give their life for a cause and it doesn't work out the way it is. You know, how does one deal with that? And, you know, there are different characters. There's some who deal with it with wanting to get revenge. You know, there are others, the main character, you know, and I guess this is also what makes him likable. He does it by trying to help people, especially because of the lives he'd taken. Cause he thought he'd taken them for a good cause. But now he realized it was sort of meaningless, you know, killing all these people he'd assassinated, thinking it was for the greater good. And it's not actually come out. So then he tries then to use his sword for good. So there are a lot of themes there that I find quite interesting. So that would be, um, if that one isn't already as an animated TV series, that could be in. But otherwise, a night nice cell for the 15th time will happen. <laughs> no, no, have. Let's, have,
0: let's have the new one. Let's have Roni Kenshin. I think that's a fantastic nomination because also I don't think we have any Japanese animation in our library yet, which is a terrible oversight because... There's some really brilliant stuff. So let's definitely add that. And we will just sneak in a second copy of Night's Tale because everybody (laughs) loves that quite rightly. So, So you know, why not put both in? I think absolutely That's
2: very kind. Thank you. (laughs) Well,
1: thank you for that suggestion, Luke. And we also ask our guests the difficult question of if there's anything that we should keep out of the History Film Club, something that gets your go to a pet hate that we should ban. Is there anything you'd suggest?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, sort of relates to why I like... And I, start, I think with a lot of especially contemporary historical drama, it all seems to be a lot about elites uh, sleeping with each other and screwing each other over politically. <laughs> and, that, and that's like, I understand why. So that's what I'm going to say. And, you know, as a fan of drama and anybody who you know, is passionate about drama and understands the power of drama and, and why it hooks people. I understand why that's the case, but um, something that was a little more, you know, broader, people dealing with different things rather than political machinations, you know, even just very human things, you know, sick relatives, not getting a job from, you know, just something mundane but that can still be quite dramatic and people from different strata of society and how they interact with each other as well. And then also, like I said, if you're doing a drama and, you know, even this relates to some of the ones that have African is not always African Europe, but not always ones where it's just single people interacting amongst themselves, but actually people who are interacting, you know, with others, because that I think reflects much more the reality. And I think would get people to understand, you know, that this is just a very human and actually a positive human quality is that for the most part, it doesn't matter where people come, you know, we can understand each other as people. So having that interaction rather than we've always been these bounded entities or only interacting amongst each other and when people came from different places, it was always like an absolute shock and that kind of stuff. So um, those would be the ones that come to mind.
1: Okay, hold on. I'm figuring out what we're <laughs> going to ban exactly. Based oh, from that. Um, I, I think c- it's, oh, difficult. It's, it's difficult to ban dramas. Ban drama now, Jane. With... No, no we, can't, we can't ban <laughs> drama. We can't really just ban dramas that deal with big histories like politics and you can't ban elites completely because we'd be quite an empty (laughs) club. (laughs) But I think what we could do is kind of ban... Any forthcoming productions which yeah. have a sole protagonist or which create a history in isolation, so which doesn't offer the nuance that you're suggesting.
2: Yeah, I. See, I see. Now that you're saying it, I'm like banning seems a bit arch, but uh, I think it was just something <laughs> no, that no. it was just something that I'm thinking about. I was like, yeah, that's something that I just don't really see. But I'd like to see less of that, more of this. Less
1: of that. We could just as a warning label, like we no, could yeah. have some kind of, come. you know. I don't why. <laughs> caution like maybe
0: just a temporary pause yeah <laughs> see. we yeah. would definitely like to see in any case more diverse storytelling uh not just in terms of like the kind of things that diversity gets talked about but like as you say in terms of themes and how protagonists interact with the world i agree like more nuanced and more complex storytelling is very welcome at the history film club yeah. so yes with, with you in spirit, we just can't right. figure out
1: what's a ban. Yeah. You're not allowed to ban drama, Luke. <laughs> the library cataloging just looks like too much work. Then, if we yeah, have to, you can still songs. have drama. Yes.
2: <laughs> Maybe ban sex-oriented drama. Yeah, I can't
1: get in that record. either. That's,
2: that's. I'm getting beginning <laughs> to sound like a priest of some kind. aren't <laughs> I? we're mean, also like a setting. No
1: <laughs> politics, no royals, yeah, no, no elites, yeah. no yeah. sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. Just you know, someone losing a pair of slippers or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, yeah. just every day. A
2: storyline about that.
1: Where's my shopping list? I'd watch that.
2: That's exactly. depends how you tell the story no, that's
1: our real life drama,
2: that's real, life drama. drama. real life sometimes, drama it's true we sometimes can't find i'm it. like i'm not being <laughs> schemed against that much i can't really identify with this to be honest <laughs> <laughs> or oh, maybe i don't know
0: there we go that's the answer is that luke pepper is in fact very liberal and is very <laughs> happy you to make any dramas he likes
2: <laughs> okay. yeah exactly
0: excellent um thank you luke uh, well look i think you know Despite the lack of really banning anything, I think we would be more than happy to welcome you as a full member of the History Film Club. Congratulations so and welcome to the club. be fabulous to have you. Uh, we do love to offer our new members a drink from the club bar, which can make any drink historical, modern, alcoholic, nice and soft and friendly. What would you like to order?
3: Yeah, so um, we have in Ghana quite an old drink called Akpateshi, and It's basically like an indigenous alcoholic liquid, almost like moonshine. It's something that's brewed... In homes, And, you know, it's very traditional. But I'd always been very interested in the origin of that. The first Akpateshi, did it taste different to what it was, you know, now? So I'd love to try maybe the original batch
2: of Akpateshi. (laughs) I don't even know how. It's probably 800, probably even longer, years old. Amazing. Um, The bomb Have someone, exactly, have some, uh, you know, fetish spruce, mix that up for me and uh, see what happens. There'll be hallucinations of various guys, I'm sure, (laughs) from... (laughs) <laughs> from oh, that gosh, original batch. Good. But uh yeah, I hope that counts. I hope that's better than my batting oh. so good. <laughs>
0: I think it sounds
1: absolutely amazing we're going to wipe out the entire History Film Club it's,
0: it's
2: going to be a big historical party hangover. I'll bring, I'll bring yeah. some over yeah, yeah I'll bring some over
1: we're going to need A Knight's nice tail on very quietly the next day <laughs> aren't
0: we <laughs>
2: very, <laughs> very quietly exactly <laughs>
1: lots
0: of swords that sounds absolutely wonderful of yeah. course we should order it straight up from our fetish priest who will be very happy to provide <laughs> it so, yeah.
2: a resident you have a resident Res- yeah yeah, priest, yeah, yeah. of course you. we have one good 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 <laughs> fantastic well
0: thank you so much um, I've been Alex von Tussleman Hannah's been Hannah Greg. and this has been an absolute pleasure to welcome Luke Pepper to the History Film Club thank you for listening
2: thank you very much